0: speak to our hearts this morning as the word comes, change us, and mold us more into the image of Jesus, we pray in his name, amen. Amen. Would you guys take your seats
1: this morning? Well, good morning, family church. Incredible time of worship this morning. Um, I was worried if I was going to lose my voice. I was singing so loud, if I was going to be able to preach, so let me get a drink up water here for a second. Well, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and as you're turning there, I just want to say thank you so much on um, behalf of my wife and I. We had an incredible baby shower last week, and we thank you so much for all the blessings and uh, just the love and support that you have shown us in this, I also um, just want to share, I love it when I can't find a seat in church. Last week after I got done doing the announcements, I went in the back and I couldn't find a seat. We didn't have everybody scoot in and so we had to actually have um, some chairs brought in on the back. There's actually a picture of us in the back with a bunch of other people. But praise God when, when that happens and so what an incredible thing. Well, we've been going through the Beatitudes and Matthew Terry's been preaching on that. We encourage you to keep Pastor Terry... Um, in your prayers, he is at home and his knee, he had surgery on it. For those of you who didn't know, um, he had to actually have his kneecap taken off and some new things put in um, and put that back and sewed in. And so he, his knee is kind of uh, in a stretcher thing right now and he's on medications. And so if you could pray for him, maybe give him a call or, or Facebook him and let him know that you're praying for him. That would be greatly appreciated. So we've been looking at the beatitudes. These are the heart issues that Jesus is getting at. Heart issues and that that turns into changed lifestyle. And so let me pray and then we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. Would you pray with me? God, we praise you for who you are. God, we thank you that we can enter into songs of worship with you. God, what an incredible blessing that is. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. God, I pray that you may speak through me this morning, may be an instrument to be used by you. God, may you soften our hearts. May you help us to remove everything from our minds of busy life and schedules, to-do lists. God, may we just be here with you this morning. May you speak to us. May we slow down and realize who you are and who we are as sons and daughters of you. God, we thank you for the incredible benefit of having your word, being able to enter into prayer with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) So we're going to be looking beginning in verse 1, and this is kind of a text on what true religion looks like. Jesus goes on, he says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward. ...from your Father in heaven. But when you give to the needy... ...do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing... ...so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees in secret... ...will reward you. So Jesus' first teaching on giving... ...this next passage beginning in verse 5... ...when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites... ...for they love to stand in the synagogues... ...and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth... ...they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room... ...close the door... And pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This morning's text, we're going to be looking at fasting. We're going to be looking at fasting. And that's beginning in verse 16. And Jesus is following the same as he just said for giving. And then also for prayer. And it says this beginning in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces. That their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you. They have received their rewards. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So Jesus is first discussing giving, giving. And then he's discussing prayer. And now he's discussing fasting. And it's easy to understand the first points about giving and prayer. We hear about those often. But we normally don't hear too much about fasting. When you look through the Bible, we see David fasted, called a man after God's own heart. King Jehoshaphat fasted when they came under attack. They went to God and they fasted. Queen Esther, when the plot was against all of Jewish people, they fasted for three days and God saved them. Daniel, as he prayed, he fasted. Elijah fasted. The people of Nineveh, when they heard of Jonah, they fasted and repented of their sins. There's huge events in the New Testament. We see that the the church was fasting and praying, and that's when they set apart Barnabas and Paul to go do the works of ministry. They were fasting and praying both before that event and after that event. Paul and Barnabas, as they went on their way, they were fasting as they were choosing church leaders. So fasting we see in the Old Testament done by all of the Old Testament prophets. We see in the New Testament that John the Baptist fasted, his disciples fasted. We see um, so many fast, and and then we come to Jesus' disciples, and we're going to see later they didn't fast. And there was a reason for that. We know early church fathers, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Whitfield, and many others fasted. So fasting sounds very important. But I I find that most of the time in churches we don't talk about fasting very much. And, And less than that, we actually practice fasting. I've only met... One or two people who fast regularly on a weekly basis. Maybe there's many more, but they actually keep it in secret, which is what they're called to do. Um, But fasting, most of the time, if you're anything like me, I grew up and I was never taught about fasting. I, I, I never really heard about it in church. And when we did talk about it, there was always a lot of practical application, like why it's healthy to fast. And it's detoxing your body, but never spiritually. And I was never encouraged to fast. My, my parents didn't fast. They never told me how to fast. And so this morning, I want us to look at fasting in the Old Testament. We're going to look at fasting in the New Testament. And then also what fasting means for us today. So beginning in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to be in verse 26. As you're turning there, this is called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. Beginning in verse 26, it says this. I still hear a couple of pages flipping, so I'll wait. All right, I think that's most of them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord and you shall not do any work on that very day for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. This is the only time that we are commanded in scripture that we see anywhere that there was a command to fast and it was on a certain day one time a year. But we see fasting happening all over the Old Testament. If you have been reading along in your Bible reading plan, we encourage you to grab one of these. They're at all the little stations around church. But if you've been reading along in this as a church, we would have recently read through Ezra chapter 8. So I encourage you, read one of the, pick up one of these and go through it with your family. But Ezra chapter 8 verse 21 says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Havah. That we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves and our children. It says, I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king this, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So Ezra says, So we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to us. So this is one example of fasting. Nehemiah chapter 1. Also, we just recently read Nehemiah chapter 1. When he saw the broken walls of the holy city, it says this in verse 4. There's no need to turn there. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, mourning for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. So the purpose of fasting in the Old Testament, it was always connected with mourning and it was always connected with repentance over sin. Fasting in the Old Testament, always connecting with mourning and repentance over sin. But we see in the New Testament that fasting began to be perceived differently. The the early Christians understood that their sin had been forgiven and that Christ had taken care of. Of that thing, They no longer fasted as a religious workday. What, what used to have to happen, now the Christians get to do. Fasting used to be a requirement you had to do. Now fasting is something that you get to do. If you've been also following along in our reading Bible plan, we're going to go through Matthew chapter 9. So go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 beginning in verse 14. It says this. The disciples of John came to him. Came to Jesus. Saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them. Can the wedding guest mourn. As long as the bridegroom is with them. Now if you're reading through the New Testament. And you didn't understand that. Fasting in the Old Testament. Was always about mourning. And afflicting yourselves. You would have read this. And what it, he's talking about fasting. Why is he talking about mourning now? So Jesus is saying, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is with them? Says the days will come when the bridegroom, Jesus, is taken away and then they will fast. So when you understand the Old Testament, the fasting was afflicting yourself. And they were forced to do this. Even people who didn't care about their sin, they were forced to fast. And to act like they felt sorry over their sin in the Old Testament. Everybody was forced to do that on that certain day. But in the New Testament, we see fasting perceived differently. So we're going to kind of move to the New Testament. We're going to begin to see how fasting they viewed it and how we view that today. So there was two main views of fasting. The first was like we've kind of read about. We saw with the Pharisees. They neglected food for themselves and they made a big show about it. They made a big show about it, and they wanted everybody to see, I have, I'm fasting today, look at me, I'm righteous, I'm a good person. That was one view. The second view, I want you to listen to this next group of people. They believed that food was a gift from God, right? Amen, right? Food's a gift from God. So they believed food was a gift from God so much that they were going to be held accountable and judged for the food that God had given them as a gift they had not eaten. So, I have a picture for you this morning on this. All right, there we go. So, you at a party. Bring out this large splendor of desserts and everything. A gift from God. And they would have felt if you did not partake and just go to town on this whole thing, you were going to be held accountable for what you decided. No, I'm going to choose the healthy thing. That was actually a group that believed that some of us may take up that type of fasting after this message um, I, I kind of remember growing up my family and I we had cinnamon rolls from time to time I was in a family of five um, my brother wasn't always awake so when we had breakfast sometimes it was a family of five sometimes a family of four um, he liked to sleep late and if it was a good breakfast we would let him sleep late right <laughs> The brothers would anyways. Um, So how many of you know how many cinnamon rolls come in a can? How many cinnamon rolls Pillsbury can? Eight. All right. We know our Pillsbury cinnamon rolls. And if it's the Cinnabon kind, you get how many? Five, six, six. Um, So we would look at that. We have a family of four, family of five. Everybody gets at at a maximum two cinnamon rolls. When Amanda and I got married, she was also from a family of five. We got cinnamon rolls. And I remember for the first time us sitting down, just the two of us. And we put the cinnamon rolls in and we're talking over breakfast. We pull them out. We put them at the table. And we look at each other. We look down. And we're like, we get all eight cinnamon rolls. (laughs) It, It seemed we always took to the second part of fasting. This is a gift from God. We always used to get like one and a half, maybe two. So for many years of our marriage... We always ate all eight cinnamon rolls. What a blessing from God. And we're working on things now a little differently. Um, The thing is, the the eight pack is the same price as the four pack at the store. So I tell her, let's just get the the eight pack and we'll put the other four in the fridge. Never happens that way. We always end up up going to town on those. Um, But Jesus was referencing the first group of people. The, the second group that believed it was a gift was a smaller sect of people. Um, but the first group of people, those were the Pharisees, religious people. So Jesus is talking about this group in this text. And they fasted two times a week. They, they fasted the second and the fifth day of the week. And those two days happened to correspond when the markets were open in town. So what that means is all the farmers... All the shopkeepers, all of the people coming to shop were all in town. So they decided to fast on the two days that they had the most audience. So they would go out on the street corners and show and they would afflict themselves and they would make it a big case so everybody could see their fasting. So let's look again at verse 16. This is what Jesus is confronting. He's talking to us as Christians. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces That their fasting may be seen by others. Fasting is a voluntary act of the believer. We're nowhere commanded to do it in the New Testament. There is one command in the Old Testament. And in these next three verses, Jesus is going to teach us four things. Four things. And the first one is this, a warning. Jesus is teaching us a warning about fasting. Beginning in verse 16, a warning to or not to seek man's praise. Not to seek man's praise. And when you fast, verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus has already shown us about giving. He says this in verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men or to be seen by them. In regards to praying, he says, when you pray, do not look like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. And then with fasting, he's saying, don't do that. So he's issuing a warning, number one. Number two, Jesus is saying an assurance. He's giving us an assurance of something. That those who do these acts openly have received their reward. Those who openly do these acts, whether it be praying, giving, or fasting, they have received reward. Their reward. So even if you do something worth God rewarding you. But you openly show it to people. God says he'll take that reward away. Even if he was going to reward you. You begin to tell people about it. You do it openly. He says you've, you've received your reward. And your reward is the praises of man. The God in secret. He's not going to award you. And a command. This is a third thing. A command to do these acts in Private. Do these acts in private. So he's assured us if we do them openly, we won't receive our reward. And thirdly, a command, do these acts in private, verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. Jesus is kind of assuming that we will fast. He's saying when you do it, not go do it. He's saying when you do it. So we should be fasting, we should be praying, we should be giving, it's expected of us as Christians. So he's telling us our daily routine, if we're fasting, somebody invites you to lunch or something else. I mean, it shouldn't be, oh, no, I'm fasting today. It can be, oh, I have something else to do. Okay, we don't need to make it a big, a big show. Um, and we can do that with a lot of different things. I, I know my natural intention, probably many of us, are, our natural sinful intention Nothing we can do about this, but that's just our natural inclination is we give a large donation or we've spent, let's say, the last 24 hours in prayer. We just went through a a prayer time or maybe we're fasting and we've been fasting or or we just got done reading a large portion of scripture for hours. We just set that aside. Many times it's, it's kind of our natural inclination to let that slip out. Like, oh, sorry, I've been busy. Spending a lot of time in God's word. I, I couldn't get to something. Or um, you know something easy for us to do. Is, is I have a stack of books on my desk. And somebody come in. And oh yeah that's my weekly reading. I've just been you know reading through this. My weekly reading by the way. Has been on my desk for the past two months. The same stack of books for weekly reading. Um, but we can easily. Begin to, to look at righteous things. And, and to share them. And, and if I keep a really close eye on my life. We can do it in so many subtle ways often all the time. So it's something we need to watch out for. And number four, the last thing, Jesus is giving us a promise. A promise that God who sees in secret will reward you. God who sees in secret will reward you. It says in the text, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This means that we are more concerned about exalting God and not man. We are more concerned about the audience of one. Rather than the audience of many. And we can do this in prayer. Standing up to pray before people. If we're doing it out of the right, wrong heart and attitude. We might as well not even pray. And Jesus is trying to get at the heart issues. Now I have a couple of practical examples. Of where churches and individuals. Including myself have failed. In the past, at doing some of these things. Maybe you've been part of churches. Maybe you're a member at, at a church if you're snowboard up, up north um, with some of these things. And these are not knocking these things, but in light of Scripture, we need to see them for what they are. And I know for me, I've been in churches and I've worked at churches that have done some of these things. So, practical example the first one that I have here is a hymnal. We have a hymnal here. How many of you ever used a hymnal? All right, almost everybody. So we have a hymnal here. Great thing, able to be used to glorify God. A lot of churches, if they can't afford hymnals, they've done fundraising campaigns. And this is a a retired hymnal from a church up in North Naples. I don't know how hymnals can be retired, but I was in this church and it said retired hymnals. um, So I guess they've gotten a lot of use. But when you open it up, it says, This hymnal has been given... On behalf of. And then it has their name listed. So in light of what we just read. Giving money to help a church buy a hymnal for people to worship is a good thing. But if we put our name in it. That we gave the money for that purpose. What does God say? The blessings can be taken away. And so. I know I've even given th- money towards things like this before. But it's something that we need to be careful of. Another thing that, um, that sometimes happens is with pews. We don't have pews in here. But the church I used to work at, you could go down the rows. And you could see, oh, this is the Smith's pews. This is the, the right pews. And that would be their pew. They paid money to help get the pews in the church. And... It would have a little thing listed with their name on it. And that's where that family most of the time sat. And so I used to work at a church like this. I never thought anything about it. Then I was going through this. And we're listing what we bought for the church. It would have been better. And that was probably their campaign to do that. But what would have been better was if they just gave anonymously. And to write on that pew and to write in this given by church member anonymous. Uh, another one that, is, that happens all the time is maybe you've been in a building and the building is named after somebody. I mean, I, I was just recently at a, a church and this church loves God. But sometime in their past, something happened to where somebody donated a large amount in this building. And it has their name on it. It's an education building. And it has their name written as the building. And Jesus is saying that we give not to man. We give only to God. We, we pray only to him. We fast only to him. And so that's something we as churches have fallen into in the past. I, I think we, we're coming out of those things. But it's some practical applications for us to be careful of. Um, I want us to look. Paul talks about battling with his flesh. He understands his flesh is very weak. And it has many desires. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and it says in verse 24, is where we're going to be starting, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable prize, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We see athletes and they train their body. They condition their body. They lower their heart rate. They they steady their breathing. Maybe if they're a swimmer, they're building their lungs. And as Christians, many times we are very weak in the flesh. One way how we can battle that is by fasting. When we fast, our body naturally wants food. And it lets us know about it, right? All the time, all throughout the day, Let's us know about it. So when we're doing this and we're fasting, there's so many things that we can do to combat that and to actually turn this into godliness. John MacArthur says this, Genuine fasting is simply a part of concentrated, intense prayer and concern for the Lord, His will and His work. Jesus' point is that the Father never fails to notice fasting that is heartfelt and genuine, that he never fails to reward it. Your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So, there are a lot of things that we can do practically as fasting. When you're fasting, let's say you're fasting at work. Instead of going and taking a lunch break, take your lunch break, but spend time reading God's Word. If you get a 30 minute lunch break, Take that day and spend 30 minutes in God's Word or 30 minutes in prayer. That's a really practical way to do it. Maybe throughout the day while you're working, if you get these hunger pains because you're neglecting yourself food, you are conditioning your body, you're neglecting food. When this hunger pain starts or you're starting to get a headache, every time that happens, you take time and you stop and you pray. Or every time it happens, maybe you're carrying around a scripture memory card That you wrote out. Every time that happens, you stop and you commit yourself to spiritual things. And this is where Terry preached last week Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a really easy way to tie in hungering and thirsting for righteousness because your body will make you do it. It will give you the reminders hey, it's time to look at that memory verse. It's actually saying it's time to eat, but you're training it, it's time to pursue godly things. And so fasting is a very easy and helpful way how we can focus on the things of God. Encourage you, if you are fasting, make sure you are drinking plenty of water throughout the day. Many times we only get water when we stop to eat. So you'll need to to make sure that you do that. I I want to give a conclusion that kind of reflects the redemption of fasting. We have an incredible God that is about the transformation business. He has redeemed sinful humanity and we can now, we have been transformed to be able to bring him praise. He has taken a flood that destroyed the earth and he's turned it into a glorious promise that he will never flood the earth again. He's taken the cross that once represented sin and shame and the worst of punishment and he's turned it into grace. Complete transformation and a love for us. And the same is true with fasting. He's taken fasting what once represented your sin and your sorrow and your brokenness towards God, that it was something you had to do, a requirement by the law. He's taken fasting and he's turned it into something you get to do. Something that you can love to do. And my last point is this. Fasting was once a reaction to our sin. But now through Jesus Christ, fasting is a reaction to his righteousness. It was once a had to. You were commanded to be broken over your sin. Now we truly can be broken over our sin. We get to because of his love and his grace for us. And if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you understand that grace. And I encourage you, if you've never been forgiven of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, to come and talk with me or somebody else that you know is a a man or woman of God, talk with them. Because one, you're living a life that is broken and you need a Savior. The other one, you're living grace and you can have joy and God can give you forgiveness. So I encourage you to pursue that. May we be a church that continues to rejoice in what God has done and what God is doing here. We're now going to move into a time of communion and Luke is going to lead us in that.
0: We're going to partake of communion together, so if the deacons would prepare for that this morning. Um, Here at the family church, we have what we call open communion, and what we mean by that is um, we would uh, encourage everyone to be a member of a Bible-believing church, be a part of them and accountable to them, but we don't necessarily believe that you have to be a part of this specific church or a specific denomination to take communion with us this morning, but if you have by grace through faith uh, in believing and repentance um, uh, surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and you're a follower of him, then, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we would invite you to participate in communion with us. Um, if you are here this morning and you're not a follower of, of the Lord Jesus, um, we would just simply ask if you let the Pat, the plate pass you this morning. See, we don't want this to be just a religious routine, or ritual that you would go through to try to please the Lord. So, but if you would like to know more, like Pastor Casey said about following the Lord myself, or Pastor Casey would love to talk with you after this service and lead you in that. Also, if you're a, a parent or a guardian of children here this morning, um, if you just let the pat, plate pass them as well, um, I, you could know, use this time... Afterwards, just to tell them what communion is and who it's for. And it's a great time for them to share just the gospel with them. Uh, let me read for you um, Corinthians chapter 1, um, starting in verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we would judge ourselves, truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so we may not be condemned along with the, with the world. So while the deacons are distributing the elements, I would encourage you just to take this time and just uh, examine yourself. Maybe you need to repent and make things right with the Lord. Like it said here in uh, First Corinthians, judge yourselves. So when you get the elements in your hand, if you just hold them, and we'll partake of them all together in just a minute. said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me lord in this time of communion we remember you lord we're so thankful for the great price you paid thank you for your body that was broken so that we can be made completely whole in you let's take the bread together In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Lord, we do remember you. Lord, our remembrance leads us to thankful worship. Thank you for the new covenant that we have in you by the precious blood that you shed for us. Let's take together. Lord, we're so thankful for the price you paid, the sacrifice for dying and rising and giving us life. Lord, giving us hope and a reason to live. Thank you for giving us the grace, Lord, to respond to you in that. Lord, help us to be just a thankful people for what you've done for us. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.